0: So glad you've chosen to be here. Welcome. Good morning, church. Uh, we welcome you, whether you're joining us in this room, if you're joining us online, or at one of our other two campuses. We're especially grateful for those of you who are parents that may be here for the first time. We trust that you've had a great week, uh, You've heard about the great week your children have had here at Vacation Bible School, and we're grateful that you entrusted us with your children. We've seen so far, after counseling individually with them, 23 boys and girls that commended their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're so thankful for what God is doing. Hey, I also want to welcome my friend Brett Cotton. He spent some years in this church, and, uh, you know, that's part of his story. And and for the last several weeks, we've been recognizing that we all have a story. Part of Brett's story is that God used his time in this church just to shape his life and to to send him off into ministry, and now he's married and, and serving there at his church. And he's got a group of students here with him from Avalon Baptist Church. Would you welcome them today? We're glad that they're here. Now take your copy of God's Word and turn, to we, turn with me to Deuteronomy. Say that. Say Deuteronomy. For some of you, you've never said that because you don't even know where that is. So if you start at the beginning of the Bible, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in just a moment. I remember the first time I heard Whitney Houston. Raise your hand if you know who Whitney Houston is. Yeah. Oh, I had a crush. I was in high school. I, I remember I was working at a summer camp. And I was, I was, raise your hand if you remember what a cassette tape was. Yeah, so I put in the cassette tape of, of Whitney Houston, and I turned to my uh, college friend at that time, Hal, and and I said, I would date her, <laughs> I mean, she had that angelic voice. And then I can remember when she came out with that song, The Greatest Love of All. It was so inspiring. I I think I was, well, I thought about singing a little bit of that for you, but I won't. Let me me just just read it, some of the words. Because the greatest love of all, is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all, it's easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself. This is the greatest love of all. Man, what a beautiful song, but, you know, Whitney got it wrong. That's not the greatest love of all. In fact, in the tragic end of her life, we we see that Whitney, she never understood that because she never even really learned to be at peace with herself And according to God's Word, there there is a love that is greater than any love, a love that transforms you and it impacts the people around you. And that's what we're going to talk about today in Deuteronomy. Now, again, you're asking, really, Pastor? Deuteronomy? Don't we like to focus on the New Testament? I mean, tell me the stories of Jesus. That's what I want to hear. Why Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy is an important part of the biblical story. It's important for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is because it recaps what God's doing with His chosen people, the the children of Israel. If you want to boil down what the Bible is all about, you could say it's about a God a people, and a land. And in the Old Testament, it tells us all about God working out His plan through His people, the children of Israel, in the land called the promised land, the land that now we can visit called Israel, the state of Israel. In the New Testament, we see that God expands that. And so you've got the same God revealing Himself in the person of Jesus Christ And and we see that the people that he's come to relate with is everybody. So it's a God for all people. And the land that he has for us is a heavenly home that we enjoy after having a, a life of fulfillment by living according to his plan. And so if we want to understand that, then we really want to look back and see what happened in this Old Testament passage as God was trying to get through his thick-headed people, the children of Israel, how to enjoy the promises that he had for them. In this particular chapter, Deuteronomy 6, this is important because of the life of Jesus. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? Twice he quoted Scripture, or three times he quoted Scripture. Twice he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6. When Jesus was approached by religious leaders and and they asked him, What's the most important commandment? Now, you've got to understand, Jesus, God had given Moses the Ten Commandments there on Mount Sinai. He's now summing it up in the commandment we're about to read. We call it the greatest commandment. But the religious leader had turned that into 13,000 laws. And, And they were focused on the law. And so they asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? This is what Jesus said in Mark 12. One of the scribes came up and and heard them disputing with one another and seeing what he answered them well, he asked him, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Of all the laws, of all the commandments, what's the most important? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The words of Jesus on that day were the words of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the word of God. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now, this is the commandment. In our church, we believe the Bible is God's Word. And and we believe God's Word is perfect, and it's true. It's not full of errors. You know, we can open it and depend on the fact that what it is saying is trustworthy. So, if that's the case, when it says, now this is the commandment, we should listen up. The statutes and the rules That the Lord your God commanded me, that's Moses, to teach you that you may do them in the land in which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, sound familiar? And be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may have multiplied greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Then we've got it again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And this is the word of the Lord. I want you to get three things from this passage. Let me tell them to you, and then we'll pick them apart one by one. I want you to see that in these verses, God teaches us how to live, and then He shows us how to love, and then He reminds us how to learn. Let's first look at that first lesson. The Bible teaches us how to live. Philosophers have often asked this question, if X is truth, how then shall we live? So in our case, if God's Word is true, if that which we teach in spaces like this, if God's Word is true, how then shall we live? I want to give you several ways I think you learn to live from this passage. Number one, live on purpose. The best-selling book that's nonfiction apart from the Bible for many years was a book written by a pastor called The Purpose-Driven Life. It begins with this phrase, what on earth am I here for? And some of us wake up every morning and think that. What am I doing here? How did I get here? What is my purpose? Have you discovered that? Why you're here? What it is that God wants of you? What's His purpose in your life? At Mission Hill, we remind everyone in our new members class that there are four purposes that we want you to have in our church. But the reality is, we believe those are true for everybody. We believe that God created you to worship Him. We think that God created you to grow in your knowledge and understanding of Him. We believe that God created you to serve Him. And we believe that God created you to go into the world and speak out on His behalf. And and so, if you're a part of this church, that's only four things we ask you to do regularly. Worship and grow and serve and go. Let's say those together. Worship, grow, serve, go. That's what I believe God has created us all for. It's His purpose in your life. How are you doing just with those four things? Do you set aside time in your life to worship Him regularly? Are, are you consistently growing in your relationship with Him? Are you closer to God today than you were sometime in your past? How are you serving Him? How is your relationship with Him being reflected in how you serve others? And, and what about that last one? Do the people, even in your little corner of the world, much less other parts of the world, know that you're going out to represent the Lord, live on purpose But then the second thing I see in this passage is that we're to live with reverence. Live with reverence. Now, how do I get that? It's because he says, fear God. What does that mean? How do we fear God like it describes in verse 2? Does that mean that we hide out and we live afraid of what He may do? Is God some cosmic killjoy that's resting in heaven just waiting us to zap us when we step out of line? Is that the kind of fear that the Bible teaches? No. No. In this case, fear is what we could call reverence or awe. It's it's a recognition of who God is and, and what that means in my life. So why do we fear God? We fear Him because of His authority. We recognize that He is the God. There is none like Him. That's why in, in church we talk about God's sovereignty. What is the sovereignty of God? It's the understanding that He is the one who rules and reigns. This is His kingdom that we're a part of. It's not our kingdom it's his think kingdom. He's large and in charge. And because of that authority, we live our life with a holy reverence of him. And I would suggest that you look at society today, and, and frankly, you look at many who even consider themselves to have a relationship with God and, and hang out in churches, and you, you can't help but think we've lost the fear of God. We don't revere him for who he is based on our attitudes and our actions. Because when you understand an authority is present, it changes you. Let me illustrate that. Have you ever been driving along, hands at 10 and 2, minding your own business? Going the speed limit even. And then in your rearview mirror, you see that car? That car that has lights on the top? It's got stripes on the side? You're just there minding your business. You see that car, what do you do? Tell me you slow down. It doesn't matter how fast you're going. You could have been going five miles under the speed limit, and it scares you to death. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, people be speeding by you on the interstate, but you can see that they saw that in their rearview mirrors, and they're like, Arr! they're slowing down. I think, I think police kind of must get tired of that. I mean, y'all just keep going. I'm just minding my own business too. But no, we, we slow down. Why? Because we fear the authority we see one listen who has the ability to enforce that which is law that's why we fear god but let me just give you one other reason i'm just going to give you two you could you could think of more we fear god not only because of his authority but we fear god because we don't want to break his heart you know, I, I had the privilege, unlike some of you, I did grow up in a godly home. I have a godly heritage. And so because of that, I, I, I didn't want to disappoint God. But you know what else? I didn't want to disappoint my parents. I can think of some of the worst decisions I've made, and the hardest part of that was calling my mom and dad and saying, hey, I messed up. Why? Not as much because I was scared of the punishment. I just didn't want to break their heart. And I know that because they love me so much, sometimes when I did wrong, it would break their heart. And so when we talk about reverence of God, that's something we want to understand. God, break my heart for the things that break your hearts. Help me be sensitive to to who you are and, and what that means. We want to understand that. We want to fear God. In a world in which everything around us constantly competes for our attention and loyalty, there's one who truly deserves and demands our focus, and that is the Lord. So, so some of you, you're living in all kinds of fear, but it's the wrong fear. You're fearing what others think, or, or you're fearing what will happen if the stock market never returns, or, or you're, you're fearing what will take place if circumstance don't change in your life. But as Jesus said in Matthew 10, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The reality is we walk in reverence of God because of who He is. Live on purpose. Live with reverence. But then live obediently. Moses said, hey, God's got this future for you. So fear Him and do what He said. God wants us to live in obedience to His commands. Some of us in here, we're educated beyond our obedience. We know what to do, but we don't do what we know. It's not... It's not what you know that transforms you. It's what you do with what you know. And I know what you're thinking, though. Pastor, are you getting legalistic? Didn't Jesus come so that we might have grace rather than the law? Well, that's not exactly what Jesus said. In that great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but to what? fulfill the law. What does that mean, to fulfill the law? Well, you've got to go back to what the law is. The law is God's standard of righteousness. We've learned about that in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, and Romans chapter 3. The law is God's standard of righteousness. But guess what? None of us live up to the standard. The Bible says all of us fall short of God's standard of righteousness. So our relationship with the law is different because of Jesus. If the law is God's standard of righteousness, that means that laws are not bad. They just point out that we are bad. We'll never be good enough to fulfill them. But Jesus was. Jesus fulfilled all the law. He was perfect in every way. All of us have failed except Jesus. That's why there's power and healing and hope and comfort and strength in all of the things we describe in the name of Jesus. We're not under the law in the same way the Jews were. Aren't you grateful for that? We can eat shrimp. <laughs> Fried shrimp. And boiled shrimp. And... <laughs> I could go on. But what is the law to us? The law is like those guardrails that you see on a highway in the mountainside. The guardrails are not there to hurt us. The guardrails are there to keep us from hurting ourselves. That's why we have the laws of God. That's why we want to live in obedience because God has given these things because He knows that our best life is not found when we break His commands but when we live in obedience to His commands. So (laughs) here's what I I just have to pause because I've been doing this for 30 years. So I, I know that when a pastor or a teacher begins to talk about living in disobedience, Because of the Holy Spirit of God, when you hear that, you're you're instantly drawn to think about these areas of disobedience in your life. And some of those are coming across your mind right now. Maybe it's in your thought life, or or, or maybe it's what you're looking at with your eyes, or or maybe it's your language and how you talk to people, or, or maybe it's things you're putting into your body or things you're doing with your body. And I could go on and on. There's areas of disobedience in your life, and you know it. I've long believed that a pastor doesn't need to remind us we're sinful. We know that. So what do you do? Well, that's what Scripture's all about. When we, when we find ourselves living outside of the guardrails of God's command, the only response is repentance and obedience. So today, if you don't get anything out of this message, if, if God through His Holy Spirit begins to speak into you right now and say, there are things in my life that are not okay, what do I do? Stop it. You repent. You turn from doing those things. Turn to God and begin to live in obedience. That's his desire. Live on purpose. Live with reverence. Live obediently. And then I love this. Live in light of the promises of God. So Moses, Moses says, hey, God's got a future for you. He's got a purpose and a plan. And that's true. He said, but you need to fear him. And that's true. And you need to do what He says. And that's true. Why? Because He's going to send you into the land. And remember, the land for them was a specific place. The land for us is what Jesus called an abundant life, a fulfilling life. God still has a plan for you, a plan for your abundance, a plan for your fulfillment. So we want to live so that we may enjoy His promises When I was growing up in that Baptist church, we would sing Standing on the Promises of Christ my King, and the organist would play it fast, and it would make us so happy, you would kind of be bouncing as you sang it, because you're thinking about the promises of God are applicable to me. I benefit from what God promises in my life. Are you standing on the promises of God? All around me, you see the colors of the rainbow. What does this stand for? Does this just simply remind us that we're all diverse and we all can be accepted no matter how we live or no matter what we do and we should find pride in that? Not biblically. That's not what this means. That would go against everything we've been saying. The rainbow is simply a reminder of God's promise. What's his promise? The promise is that in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of how bad we are, in spite of what we deserve, he makes a way for the people of, of, of his first creation. He did that by promising never to flood the earth again. Do you remember what happened? God looked down on his creation. He saw that all of mankind was sinful except for a righteous man named Noah. So he told Noah, you gather up anybody that will come you preach righteousness, you get anybody to come in and I'll save them. But those that don't come in and and listen to the word that God has sent to you, they're going to be destroyed by a flood. And that's exactly what happened. The world was destroyed by a flood. But after that, in Genesis 9, the Bible says that God said, I'm giving you a sign in my covenant with you and with all the living creatures for all generations to come. I've placed a rainbow in the clouds. It's the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. And when I send the clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy life. See, this rainbow, it doesn't remind us that we can do anything we want. It reminds us that we can't, but that God did something so that even when we blow it, even when we mess up, even when we do things our way, He makes a way. When I was driving home from a wonderful wedding celebration yesterday evening, I was uh, driving east, and I looked up in the sky, and that day that was rainy and sunny and rainy and sunny and rainy and sunny, just like every summer Florida day, And I saw that rainbow, and I was just so grateful. God, thank you for your promises. It's a covenant. God's given us his word. But this is the better news. For us, it's expanded beyond the rainbow. We don't have just the rainbow we can look to and remember God. We can look to the cross Because in Hebrews chapter 13, it tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ is the covenant of God, that he takes our punishment that we deserve for sin, if we'll simply look to him. God will enact his judgment over sinful people, but he gives us a way out. Don't misunderstand his promises and his blessings. His promises and His blessings are never based on what you do. The blessings you enjoy are not the result of what you do. They are always the result of something that God has done. For those early created beings, it was Him giving the rainbow. For us, it's Jesus demonstrating His love in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So how do we live? We live on purpose. We live with reverence. We live obediently, and we live in the promises of God. That should encourage you today, but that's not all this passage teaches us. The Bible teaches how we should live, and then the Bible teaches us how we should love. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today, and they shall be on your heart. Notice that these verses, just like a verse just before them, begins with "hear." Notice when Jesus was asked a great commandment, he said, here. If you were Jewish or you are from a Jewish background, you know that this is the Shema. That's how that's translated in the Hebrew language. This is a prayer that even today is prayed every day, morning and evening, by the Jewish people. It's a prayer that reminds them of who God is and the need we have to hear from him every day. But guess what? We have that need as well. When's the last time you've heard from God? Do you slow down enough to let him speak into your life? So some of you say, "God God never speaks to me." Well, let me give you an insider's tip. Just open the book and read his word, and he'll speak. You say, I want to hear him speak out loud. Just open the book and read his words out loud, (laughs) and God will speak to you. But not just that, in prayer, spend time in prayer, yes, making your petitions known to the Lord. I love that God's Word tells us to do that. Be anxious for nothing, it says, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, uh, make your request known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. I love that, but don't stop making your petitions. Slow down enough to listen and hear what He might have to say, because He is the one that can speak into your life. They were so convinced of this that when you see it translated, the Lord your God is one, the word that we have in English, the Lord, man, the Hebrew people were so afraid even to just write this out that when they would write Yahweh or Jehovah, they would leave out the vowels because of the holiness of that name. It's a tetragram. For Jehovah or Elohim or the Lord. They were saying, The Lord is our God. The Lord alone is our God. But then they would say, The Lord alone is our God. Now that's significant because Jesus reminded us of that when he taught us to pray. Remember, he gathered the disciples, they asked him to teach them how to pray, and Jesus said, Okay, when you pray, begin this way. What? Our Father. See, throughout His Word, God wants us to remember that we're in this together. There are no long-ranger Christ followers. We need each other. We're we're better together. In order to live like God's commands, we choose to love one another. In a couple weeks, we'll talk about loving that way. But we need to hear what God is saying if we want to live and love the way He intends. Now he's got our attention. Hero Israel. We have the right perspective. How do we love? Look at verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? What did Jesus say? Mark 12:30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now, you could break those down. You could say in Deuteronomy, when it talks about our heart, that's with our understanding, with all that we understand, we're to love God. When it talks about our soul, that's our willful understanding. So with our volition of our will, with our choices, we are to love God. You know, with our, our body, our, our strength, or our might, that, that's our physical, our, our lives. Well, that's true, but really, don't make it that complicated because Jesus even added a fourth word. What is he saying? He's saying, just love me with all of you. Let all of you love all of me, and we'll be on the same page. So, this is the easiest biblical principle you could try to understand. And yet, it seems like it's the hardest to live out. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your strength with all your might occasionally someone will come to me or I'll hear through the grapevine hey we're going we're gonna to go somewhere else we're just, we need to make a change and sometimes uh, pastor people will say to me uh, you know it's just not deep enough and I'm thinking you're right because I'm not deep enough I, I can't even get the great commandment down I'm still working on this one I don't know about you maybe some of you have got it but my problem, and I think our problem is, we don't love God with our all. We love Him with little compartments. So I love Him with my Sunday morning compartment. And some of you, you even got that down. You get a 10 out of 10. You'll raise your hand. You'll shed a tear. You feel the holy goosebumps. Or maybe you'll love Him with all your heart when you're around your church to friends. But then you got compartments where you're just not willing to give to Him. I'm not... I'm not willing to give him my work heart. I mean, that might get me in trouble. Those people might see me. If I'm a teacher, I can't give him my classroom. Or if I'm a student, I can't give him my classroom heart because they might kick me out of school, right? i got to be undercover. I can't give him my financial heart. I mean, good night. What will happen then? I can't give him all of my schedule. And I got things I need to, I'm I'm not going to give him my family. You see how easy it is just to compartmentalize? And here's what happens. We can be active in church. We can open our Bibles. We can have a daily quiet time. We can sing the songs with the best of them. And then something happens. We're tempted and we can't fight the temptation because we've got so many separated compartments in our life. We've not given God our all and he wants all of you. He wants every part of you. When you get this right, you're focused on Him, you're fixated on Him. But again, my my job's not to make you feel bad, it's to help you look to Jesus. And and so, what do you do if if you're sitting there and go, Good night, Pastor, you're right what do I do? I've got these compartments. I don't want to be that way. I want to give God my all. Well, What we're learning in this passage is that the Bible teaches us how we should live and the Bible teaches us how we should love, but when we're missing out, when we don't have it downright, the Bible also teaches us how we should learn. I don't know about you, but I want to be a lifelong learner. I'm so thankful that though I'm not there yet, I'm still under construction. I I'm really grateful that man, whether it be as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a pastor, man, though I've blown it in the past, I'm, I'm trying to be better by His grace and for His glory. So what do you do if if you want that? Look at the passage once more. Verse 6, These words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And, And they shall be like frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What is he saying? Well, that's really applicable for us. Because even though we're meeting in a gathering of the saints called church, The reality, he's saying, is that God's design is that the love of God begins in the home. He's saying to the children of Israel, hey, if you want to get this right, you've got to learn. This is a daily discipline that begins right where you live. Parents, man, maybe that's the most important lesson you can learn. It's your spiritual duty to ensure the discipling. And the nourishment spiritually of your children in the things of God. I'm so grateful for what happens through a church gathered. Man, weeks like vacation Bible school are life changing. Many of you here came to Christ through a vacation Bible school or a student camp or a special event. But the reality is, we must not limit our child's spiritual growth to only the things they learn in church. You are to be the one that helps disciple them. You are to be the one who helps them grow spiritually. But again, I know the challenge. You're you're thinking, I don't know how to do it, Paul. I don't feel equipped. What is Scripture saying? It's saying, okay, you do whatever it takes to make this the main thing in your life so that you will be equipped and you can carry out this God-ordained responsibility in your little corner of the world. I want you to think about something. We've said this is God's Word. If God's Word is truth, that means that you as parents, you as grandparents, have the ability to initiate a generational shift that can alter the spiritual direction of your family's destiny. Just think about that. And I look out and some of you are the product of that. You don't come from a religious background. You don't come from a church or Christ-following family, and yet the Holy Spirit of God convicted you of your sin. You were drawn into a relationship with Him through Jesus, and now your destiny has changed, and your children's destinies are changed. But the same thing can be true on the reverse. If we don't take this responsibility seriously, those of us like me who may have grown up with a godly heritage, If we don't prioritize this, if the Lord is not all in our lives, then we should not expect our children to prioritize things they watched us marginalized. So how do you learn this? This is simple, and then I want to pray with you. Moses outlines it. First, you just got to teach the love of God. So whether you're talking about to yourself, to your children or grandchildren, to people around you, teach the love of God. It's as simple as this. Look for teachable moments. Live in such a way that you're intentional. That that people around you know, man, I love God more than anything else. Teach the love of God. Well, how do you do that? He kind of amplifies it. He says, just talk about it. Talk about the love of God daily in your life. Just look for opportunities to talk about God. Do you do that? When, when you're out to eat, do you look for opportunities just to demonstrate that God is Lord of all in your life? It's not hard. Maybe you're going to go to lunch. Just do something like this. Ask your waitresses or waiter's name and just say, hey, in just a minute, we have a custom. We pray over our food. We believe God blesses that. I just wonder, is there anything going on in your life that we can pray for today? Most of the time, people I've never met said, say something like, sure, my mom's battling cancer. Or, yeah, I'm going through a tough time. Or, could you pray for my schooling? What do they see? They just see that I'm willing to talk about how much God loves us. Are you... Do the people in your corner of the world even know that you care or profess to care about the love of God? Teach the love of God. Talk about the love of God. And then tattoo, tattoo the love of God wherever you can. All right, I realize what some of you are doing. Some of you grew up real legalistic and strict and I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. And when you hear the word tattoo, it gives you kind of, you just begin to jerk around. What am I saying? Well... I'm just taking a little liberty from what Moses said, and I'm saying, put this command to love God everywhere you're going to think about. I'm not condemning or condoning your tattoo, but if you're going to get a tattoo, might as well get a scripture verse, right? But I know this, whether it's putting a post-it on a mirror, whether it's taking an index card and putting it on your dashboard... Whether it's wearing an armband, like this one just reminds me, I'm a fisher of men. Whatever it is, find ways to focus in on the love of God. So for the children of Israel, Moses gave a specific way. He said, I I want you to take these little boxes called phylacteries, and I want you to either put it on your left forearm or on your forehead, and in that box, I want you to write on a scroll, inscribe on the scroll the command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then every time you look down at your arm or or every time somebody sees that or you feel that on your forehead, you're reminded that this is the main thing. Get this right above everything else. Don't talk about how spiritual you are or how many Bible verses you know if you're not serious about loving the Lord your God with all you've got. And then he said, if that's not enough, I want you to take these little boxes. They're called mezuzahs. And you put them, it's Jewish people still today, here in Temple Terrace. There's a whole street full of uh, of Jewish folks right near one of the synagogues. And if you go, I guarantee you, right under their doorbell, you're going to see a mezuzah. And you know what's in it? A little scroll. You know what's inscribed on that scroll? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's just saying, whatever it takes, do what it takes to get this right. So how are you doing with the greatest love of all? Because this is what it is. It's more important than what your retirement fund is going to be. And Lord, help us there. It's more important than where your children are going to go to college or the sports teams they're not going to be on in spite of the fact that you miss church to keep them there. It's more important than who you're going to marry. It's the greatest love of all. Are you living in light of God's love? Are you loving like He commands? And are you committed this day in and day out? Man, I'm 53. Here's what I know. Man, I hope at 54 I love Him better than I do today. Whitney got it wrong. But part of it she did get right. The greatest love of all, it is inside of you. Because you're loving God from the inside out. That's what I want for you. The greatest love of all. Let's bow our heads together. Now every time we gather as a church corporately to worship, most people that gather at least profess to follow Christ. So I want to speak to you first. What did the Holy Spirit of God say you need to adjust in your life? How you're living, how you're loving, what you're learning. Right now, right where you are, I'm I'm confident He's telling you something. Right where you are, just speak to Him. If you need to repent of something, repent. That means you agree with God that you're headed the wrong way. Stop going the wrong way and start going His way. Start living in obedience. But there's some of you here that have never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may be here As a guest, you may be here because of your children being in vacation Bible school. Let me just help you understand what they've learned every day. God loves you, but He loves you in spite of how you and I are. You see, we're born as sinners. Sin is not just something we do, it's who we are. It separates us from God. It misses His standard of righteousness. Remember the law? I talked about that. We can never live up to that on our own. But God made a way for us. That's his covenant, that's his promise. His way was to send his son, Jesus. And Jesus died on a cross, taking your punishment and my punishment, and he he rose from the grave to show he's got power over sin and death. And he's alive today, and he wants to give you the greatest love of all. So what do you do? You just acknowledge your need for him. God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I receive your forgiveness that you offer. Come and take control of my life. He'll do that. Can I lead you in that prayer? It's not a magic prayer, but sometimes it just helps to have the words. Maybe you just pray this, just you and God, say this. Say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Pastor Paul didn't have to tell me that today. I need to be saved. I now believe that you died for my sin. And that you're alive today. And that you forgive me. So I receive that forgiveness. And I repent. I've been doing things my own way. I'm ready to follow you. So come into my life. Take control, all of me for all of you. Now tell him,, tell them, thank you. Say thank you, Jesus. Our heads are still bowed and our eyes are closed, but some of you even in this room, You just prayed that prayer with me. Would you let me know that? And here's how. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, but right where you are. If you just prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip your hand up? You can slip it right back down across this room. That's great. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise God. That's awesome. Others of you? Praise God. Welcome to God's family. That's the most important thing you can ever do. I'm going to give you away in just a moment. You can tell tell us that again. And even those of you who didn't raise your hand. But I just want to pray with all of us. Father, oh, goodness. In the name of Jesus, we are so thankful for this time in your word. And we especially say thank you that eternity's just been changed for some in this room. Lord, thank you for working in our lives. We want to love you more. We want to love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. Oh God, help me love you more. Because today we do declare we love you. We love you.